21 through 40, there it is. Good work, sound team. Uh, if you are using the Pew Bibles, that is in the black Pew Bible, it's page 804. In the blue Pew Bible, it's page 856. 804 in the black, 856 in the blue. My name is Brett Sweet, one of the pastors here at GCF, where we do exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. We're, in, we're continuing our series through the book of Luke. Uh, this is the last Sunday of the month. The last Sunday of the month, we have question and answer time after the service as well. Uh, you can feel free to email those questions up there. I'll try to answer them. Um, today is also October 31st. And October 31st is an important day for Protestants. Not because we get candy. It is on this day in 1517 that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. And that event is formally identified as the start of the Protestant Reformation. But 100 or 500 years ago today, well, this year, 1521, uh, is really the real start of the Protestant Reformation, most scholars think. And that is when Luther uh, officially breaks with Roman Catholicism at the Diet of Worms which I'll pick that story up in just a minute after I pray. Lord, what on earth can a man do to accomplish your tasks? I suppose it's just to be faithful. So I pray, Lord, that you would help me this morning to speak for you, to speak with your authority, to speak with your care. Lord, we pray that this word would land not just as the words of men, but as the very word of God, as it did with the Thessalonians. Pray, Lord, that we would depend on your Holy Spirit both as a, as a preacher and as listeners. And Lord, we pray that you would afflict the comfortable this morning and comfort the afflicted. Lord, help us to know who is who. We know your spirit knows, so send him. And we pray that Jesus would be magnified in all things. Amen. So Martin Luther is a monk in this monastery in Germany, and he's reading the Bible. He's reading his Bible, and he comes to believe something novel. He starts to realize that the Bible is teaching things that cannot uh, align with the way the Roman Catholic Church is teaching. And so... Luther looks at how the Roman Catholic Church functions and he starts preaching and he starts writing books. And Luther starts to teach and believe and calling people to believe that salvation comes through Jesus, the Messiah, alone. There there is no longer a need to go through the ministrations of the Catholic Church. If you can get to Jesus the Messiah, if you can believe in Him, that's all it takes to be saved. That salvation can be found apart from the Catholic Church. And Luther's books cause an uproar. So in 1521, uh, they call Luther down uh, to Worms and to put him on trial. And they put all, these bo- all of his books around him. And Luther has a little bit of political protection. He's allowed safe passage. But really, his life is on the line for believing that salvation comes through Jesus, the Messiah, alone. And anybody with that sort of pressure on them, the question is, is how would we expect them to respond under that sort of pressure? What would we expect him to do? No doubt many people expected Luther to recant Deny his teachings so he could stay alive. So the, count, the council orders him to do that. It says, hey Luther, these books are heretical according to us. And so if you don't recant, you're going to be treated like a heretic, which means you'll be killed. And Luther's timid at first, needs a night to think about it, but he comes back and says this, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, For I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot 
and will not recount, recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. So Luther challenges the council. He essentially asks, how can you expect me to believe what the church teaches about salvation? How can you expect me to believe that? How can you expect me to believe and trust a corrupted church? Now, Christians are called believers. And Luke 2, verses 21 through 40, gives us a similar question. We believe that Jesus is the only Savior of the world, but can we be expected to believe that? Do you want help believing today? Maybe you're here and it's been a tough week. You want, to, you want some confirmation that this is true. So Luke 2.21 through 40 gives us this big question. Big, big question I want you to hang on to. How can we expect to believe that baby Jesus is the Messiah? How can we expect to believe that G baby Jesus is the Messiah? Lots of babies. Lots of babies born. Lots of Jewish babies have been born. Why should we believe that Jesus is the divinely appointed Savior King? That's what Messiah means. The divinely appointed Savior King. Why can we believe that Jesus is the Messiah? We're going to look at three expectations. How can we be expected to believe? Three expectations. First, we can expect the Messiah to follow the Old Testament requirements. Second, we can expect the Messiah to be identified by multiple witnesses. And third, we can expect the Messiah to be impressive. So, following the Old Testament requirements, identified by multiple witnesses, and to be impressive. First, how can we be expected to believe that Jesus, that baby Jesus is the Messiah? We can expect the Messiah, to follow the Old Testament requirements. Expect Him to do that. Expect all those Old Testament requirements to be fulfilled in Christ. So the Messiah comes from within God's people in the Old Covenant, Israel. So we should expect Him to be a very good Israelite. The best Israelite. Excellent at following the Old Testament requirements. And that's what Jesus does. So notice first that baby Jesus receives the Old Testament sign of circumcision. He receives the Old Testament sign of circumcision. Look with me at verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Jesus is circumcised according to this uh, command given to Abraham and brought through the Old Covenant community. It's a sign that Jesus belongs to God's people. Jesus is viewed as a member of God's people. And he had this done to him. This is remarkable. Jesus obeyed the Old Testament perfectly, but he needed the help of his parents to do that too. We should expect to need other Christians to help us obey. But he had to follow this Old Testament requirement. So we can expect the Messiah to follow the Old Testament requirements. And the first one we see required here is that Old Testament sign of circumcision. We notice also that baby Jesus should be the Messiah because he follows the requirements of the law of Moses. He follows the requirements of the law of Moses. Look at verses 22 through 24 with me. 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Exodus 13, verse 2, and, do, and Numbers 3, 11 through 13, they're, they're talking about how in the Old Covenant, God saved the people from Israel by this act of the Passover. And God spares the firstborn sons of Israel while punishing the firstborn sons of Egypt. 
And because of that, God says, the firstborn sons belong to me. They're mine. But you know what? I'm going to choose a different different group of people to function in that capacity. That's the Levites. So every time a firstborn son is born, you can, in a sense, buy them back by offering a sacrifice. You can get your firstborns back into your family by offering a sacrifice. And for the poorest of the poor, the sacrifice was two doves or two pigeons. So we see Joseph and Mary are very poor. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. You could offer the smallest, cheapest sacrifice. This was done to help Mary and Jesus follow the requirements of the law of Moses. So just as we'd expect, if we're expected to believe that baby Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah follows the Old Testament's requirements. This is absolutely crucial for us to get. This comes up again in verses 27 and verse 39. Luke wants us to get this. Jesus, baby Jesus, is fulfilling the Old Testament requirements. And that should help us be expected to believe. Rosaria Butterfield uh, lived as a lesbian, uh, and she was a women's study professor for many, many years. She self-described herself as butch. But she started reading the Bible. And one night at a dinner party at her house with her partner, um, her transgender friend comes up to her and lays a big hand on hers and says, Rosaria, this Bible reading is changing you. This Bible reading is changing you. Because Rosaria Butterfield started to see Jesus revealed in the pages of Scripture. That's how the Reformation has survived too. Believers going back to the Bible saying, what does the Bible say? We go back to the Bible to find Jesus and obey what is said here. And that's what Mary and Joseph did. We've got this baby. What, does the, what are we commanded? What does the Bible command us to do? Let's obey it. So the whole Bible, the Old Testament included, is relevant for Christians. It reveals Jesus in many ways. It prepares us to know how to look for the Messiah, the one who keeps all that is found there. So read your New Testaments, but read your Old Testament along with it. Read God's Word. The more you read it, the more you'll see Jesus in there as the Messiah, fulfilling all that the Old Testament requires. In the Bible, God is so good to us, particularly in the Old Testament, because what he's doing is he's creating a mold. And baby Jesus comes along and he fills it. Fills it perfectly to help us believe. See, this is the one. This is the one. Notice also when we think about Mary and Joseph and Jesus, parents, help your children obey by being a model of obedience to your kids as Mary and Joseph were for Jesus. For Jesus. A model for Him. Kids, give thanks. Your parents bring you to church. Jesus was taken to the temple. Jesus was taken to the synagogue. Your parents are just following the example. You are following the example of child Jesus. If you aren't a Christian, you can be expected to believe that baby Jesus is the Messiah because he followed the Old Testament's requirements. If you do not trust Jesus, you have only one other way to pass through judgment. You have to keep the Old Testament's requirements yourself. And if you go back and read it, you haven't. And you cannot. I cannot. Nobody can. Now, how can we expect to believe that baby Jesus is the Messiah? We can expect the Messiah to follow the Old Testament's requirements, which Jesus does. 
Here's the second reason we can expect that baby Jesus is the Messiah, and we can be expected to believe that. We can expect the Messiah to be identified by multiple witnesses. We can expect the Messiah to be identified by multiple witnesses. Multiple witnesses pointing to the Messiah. In the book of Deuteronomy and throughout Scripture that follows, including into the New Testament, we see the testimonies of one person, they don't cut it. God is just like, he's, he's wiser than us. He knows how people work better than we do. And so he doesn't put up with the he said, she said. There's got to be multiple witnesses. And that's just what we find here. We find here two witnesses, multiple witnesses that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's look at witness number one. His name is Simeon. Witness number one is Simeon. And since he takes up most of the text, that's where we're going to spend most of the time. And I'm doing what you're not supposed to do, have subpoints for your subpoints. But we're going to look at three aspects of Simeon. The first aspect of Simeon, who's witness number one, Simeon was qual- a qualified witness by the Holy Spirit. Simeon was a qualified witness by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit made him an effective witness. Look at verses 25 through 28 with me. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now we don't know exactly how this happened, but somehow the Holy Spirit has come along, come on to Simeon and said, Hey Simeon, you have a special task. You get to live until you see the Messiah. You can be certain of that. You can be certain of that. And Simeon comes along, sees baby Jesus, he's a witness, and he says, this is the one. This is the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. The Holy Spirit qualified Simeon to be a witness. So witness number one is Simeon. He's qualified to be a witness. Notice also that Simeon witnesses something. He witnesses that salvation goes to all people. Simeon the witness witnesses that salvation goes to to all people. Look with me at verses 29 through 32. Lord, Simeon says, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. In chapter 1, there's this sense. We read the text that salvation seems to be kind of political, kind of military. Like the Messiah is going to come. He's going to overthrow all these Gentile nations who are oppressing God's people. And and so we should expect this guy to have a sword. And we're going to see that expectation continue through Luke, especially among the first people who encounter him when they first meet Jesus. But now we're told, wait a second. There's more going on here. The Messiah is doing something else. He's not conquering all people all the time. He's bringing salvation to them. This is the gospel. This causes Simeon to give thanks. Salvation can go to anybody, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what you're going through. Salvation can come to you. Every single nation and ethnic group. So Simeon gives thanks and says, I can die in peace now. So witness number one, Simeon was qualified to be a witness by the Holy Spirit. He gives thanks that salvation goes to all people. And then there's a witness in another way. Simeon warns as a witness about something. He warns, Simeon does, that Jesus will bring disruption. Simeon the witness says, Jesus is going to bring disruption. Don't think your plans can just continue the way they are if Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this is a, let's read verses 33 through 35, and it's a little challenging to know exactly what's going on. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now again, this is a challenging text. It's hard to know exactly what Simeon is after, but you're going to see this fulfilled even a little bit in the next chapter, or in the next sermon. But Simeon is saying, even to Mary and Joseph, Jesus is coming in a way that's going to challenge your life. Some people who are up high are going to be knocked down because of Jesus. Some people that are low are going to be lifted up because of Jesus. He's going to bring disruption to this order. And that's what we see in the New Testament. And that's what we see in life. When Jesus comes, there's a disruption to the way life was. There's a division at times. People come and they hear about Jesus and they love Jesus and they love Jesus' people. And it comes to other people and they don't like this Jesus and they don't like Jesus' people. Jesus is going to bring disruption. So we can expect the Messiah to be identified by multiple witnesses. Witness number one was Simeon. That was the long one. Now let's see witness number two. Witness number two is Anna. Witness number two is Anna. Look with me at verses 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him, that's Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The temple is massive. 36 acres. 36 acres. When I hear that, I think I could hunt deer on that much land. And by chance... Anna bumps into this baby at just the right time. By chance? No, not by chance. Not by chance. No way. She's a godly woman serving God and His people for longer than most of us will live. And she sees this baby. And she says, hey, everybody... You've been waiting for Israel to be redeemed. Let me tell you about him, this little baby. He's the one. Let me tell you about baby Jesus. Recently, my neighbor told me he saw a coyote. Wait, I say coyote. You could say coyote. That's fine. He saw a coyote run down our street. We live in Spokane. And my neighbor is sometimes wrong about things bit older. Uh, his eyesight's not always great. Sometimes uh, he's been drinking a little bit. But I thought, oh, coyote in Spokane, not likely. Then on Monday, we're out raking leaves. We have a, two maple trees. We're raking all these yellow leaves. And all of a sudden, just before school gets out, we live really close to Shiloh Hills Elementary, this coyote goes tearing down our street, downhill towards the south. And we're all standing there just watching this thing go. My neighbor saw it. He saw it before. I didn't necessarily believe him, just one witness. But my neighbor saw it again. My wife saw it. My kids saw it. As the, as the coyote curved around the house, another neighbor who was out for a walk it. I saw it. No reason to doubt anymore. Multiple witnesses. There's a coyote in our neighborhood confirmed by multiple witnesses. Simeon and Anna, multiple witnesses to baby Jesus being the Messiah. They waited decades for the right moment, which should challenge us. So many of us We can't wait 10 minutes. They're willing to wait decades. 
for the right moment to obey, to point to the Savior as witnesses. We need to learn from older saints how to be patient. Older saints, just because you're older doesn't mean you're more patient either, though. Be aware of that. We need to be a church where the very old, like Anna, are with the very young, like Jesus, the baby. We need to be witnesses to Jesus together. How on earth will this happen? There is only one thing that unites people of all ages, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. The only one. Only one will do that. And we need to be close to one another of different generations. And the only way I've seen the gospel applied in that way is through home groups. People who are really sharing life together, really happy you're here on Sunday mornings. But you're only getting a tiny glimpse of what, is, what you're called to if you're only here on Sunday mornings. We need to see cross-generational fellowship happen. And that's going to commonly happen in home groups. Now think about Simeon the witness for a moment. He gives thanks that salvation is for all people. Do you rejoice in that? Salvation is for all people. That means you. Salvation has come for you. Salvation has come in Jesus the Messiah, not through years of your faithful church attendance. Not because you've got a theological degree. Not because you were catechized as a kid. Not because you're a really good servant in the community and everybody respects you. Not because you're, you've helped granny cross the street or because you're the most tolerant person you know. Salvation has come because baby Jesus was born. That baby fulfills the law here and every day for his 33 years. That baby became a grown man who loved every type of person and then died as a substitute for their sins. For the sins of everyone who puts their faith and trust in him. And then he defeats death so that we can defeat death. He rose from the grave. And when you trust in him, you can have the peace that Simeon had. You can die in peace. You can die in peace trusting Jesus will raise you from the dead. Not because you saved yourself. Because Jesus the Messiah is your Savior. And now this message is for all people, so it should motivate us to share that with our teammates and our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends. And now think about Anna the witness for a moment. She proves that widows, that elderly, that singles are meant to have an important impact in the body of believers. So if you are retired, for example, Anna could have retired, don't quit serving only, I'm saying only, to fish, or only to play golf, or only to quilt, or only to sit at home and watch CNN. Which when I worked with my dad, we had work in people's houses, and most retired people, that's what they spent their time doing. Those are just the ones I interacted with. Don't do that. You have a meaningful place at this church, so serve. We need to learn from you. You have meaningful impacts to make. But now the question of the day, how can we expect to believe that baby Jesus is the Messiah? You've got two witnesses who are full of the Holy Spirit here telling you that baby Jesus is the Messiah. Telling you that. How many witnesses do you need? How many witnesses do you need? Your choice in the matter to answer that question might actually reveal more about you than about Jesus. If you're struggling to believe, you're trying to believe, you're here, you want to come on the last day of the month so you can ask questions to help you believe, that's great. This is a great place for you. But if you are defiant, if you say, no amount of witnesses will help me believe, I want to warn you, that sort of defiant unbelief stands there like this, 
when God speaks to you through your word, through his word, that is one of the greatest sins in the Bible. To not believe what God is telling you when he's telling you the truth. And out from it flow all kinds of other evil. Don't think you can just get away with it. But look at how loving God is. God is compassionate to you. He's given you multiple witnesses to help you believe. We can be expected to believe them. So how can we expect to believe that baby Jesus is the Messiah? We can expect the Messiah to follow the Old Testament's requirements, and Jesus has. We can expect there to be multiple witnesses to Jesus being the Messiah, and we have them. And now lastly and most briefly, we can expect the Messiah to be impressive. The Messiah, though like us in many, many, many ways, he's fully human. Jesus taking on flesh means he cares for us. He came to us. Good news. He's like us, but he's impressive in some ways too. That we should expect of someone different than us. The first way he's impressive, we notice, is that the Messiah should be wise. The Messiah should be wise. Look with me at verses 39 through 40. 39 through 40. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, there it is again, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. The New Testament tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.24 that Christ is literally the knowledge of God. It's the very wisdom of God. Now, for far different than the average child, who the Bible accurately characterizes as foolish, foolishness. The Messiah should be wise. Jesus was wise from childhood. We can expect the Messiah to be impressive, and he is impressive in this way. He's wise. We should, the Messiah should impress us with his wisdom. But we can also expect the Messiah should have God's favor. The Messiah should have God's favor. Look at the end of verse 40 with me. And the favor of God was upon him. And the favor of God was upon him. If the Messiah is sent by God, if he's commissioned by God, then we should expect that God favors him, that God is pleased with him. And that is exactly what we find with this child. He is favored by God. So when we think about the wisdom, we want to be wise people here. It's why we preach the way we preach through texts, appealing to your minds and hearts. That's why we have Sunday school. We want to reflect on our wise Savior. It's also a huge part of our discipleship groups. We want you in those groups so you're growing in wisdom. But more than focusing on becoming wise by knowing certain factoids or things like that, we want you to be obsessed with Jesus. The wisdom of God. Because as you know Him and relate to Him, His wisdom will start to impact you. You'll become wise as you reflect Him. So be obsessed with Him. Amazed at what God is doing through Christ and what God has done in Jesus. And we know that will make us wise in return. Now think about how Jesus is favored by God. He's always accepted by God. When God opens our hearts to believe, we become favored by God too. You don't need to strive to earn God's favor. You simply need to attach yourself to Jesus. And his righteousness is credited to you. What God says about Jesus being pleasing to him, being a son, a beloved son, that's said about you. So you can be sure you're favored by God if you're a Christian. Now step back and look at this good news. We are in a world full of sin and sickness and suffering. Families losing their father. And the crazy thing is we see so many people just ignore it, live like nothing has changed. We don't care. But look at this amazing good news. Big picture. 
We are mourning and aching. We need someone to save us. And that's exactly what this text says. Someone has come to save us. Someone has come to deliver us through death. Someone has come to put an end to suffering someday. That's coming. Baby Jesus is the Messiah. That's good news. He is really proof of God's care. He really cares for you. So believe that this morning. Martin Kemp is emeritus professor of uh, art history at Oxford. He looks very closely at paintings, so closely his nose almost touches them. And he's, he analyzes paintings to, to identify maybe this is a lost work of Leonardo da Vinci. He spent two years looking at one particular painting. How could the public be expected to believe that this lost painting is really a da Vinci? Well, Kemp says, what if it was painted by somebody left-handed, which da Vinci was? That's only 17% of population. What if the painting has similar styles and brush strokes to the other da Vinci, da Vinci paintings, including using palm prints? What if the materials were available during da Vinci's time that were used to paint this? What if the style of clothing fits to the clothes worn during da Vinci's time? What if the young woman being painted actually looks like the daughter of da Vinci's patron supported him? At some point, Kemp says, we should be expected to believe we should be expected to believe that a lost work of art could possibly belong to the Italian master. There's enough evidence. Luke 2 is telling us we can be expected to believe. Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament requirements as expected. Jesus is confirmed by multiple witnesses as expected. Jesus is impressive as expected. Maybe the time, it's the time for those people to believe that this work was by da Vinci. Maybe today is a day for us to really believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's a day for us to believe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches. Thank you that this, these are real events. We're thankful, Lord, that you've given us a lens to make sense of the world. You've given us a lens to make sense of this passage of Scripture, and we pray that we would believe it. For those of us who are struggling to believe, Lord, help us. Send your Spirit. Challenge us where we need to be challenged to comfort us in other ways. For those of us, Lord, who are hurting, we pray you would comfort us that the Messiah really has come and will come again to deliver us fully and finally. And Lord, this week, help us to be a rejoicing people who believe that the Messiah really has come, the promised one, the divinely appointed Savior King. Lord, what good news. Help us to be shaped by that more than the civil authorities around us or the bosses at work. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to turn very quickly to the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read from Matthew 26. Through 28. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's the Messiah saying he's coming again. And there's the Messiah saying something else. He's saying that when you look at bread that represents his broken body on the cross and blood which represents the bloodshed to save us from the wrath of God and, our, and the effect of our sins, he's saying this these symbols are another reason for you to believe. As you see these things, taste these things, touch these things, 
This is a reminder of what he has said and what he said is true and real. So as you come forward as Christians and you taste these things and touch these things, be reminded again that Jesus wants to help you believe that he is who he says he is. If you're not a Christian, we're really glad you're here. We hope you come back. We would ask that you refrain from taking this meal. And the reason for that is simply that this is a picture of people who are appropriating or taking in the benefits of Jesus Christ's death. And right now, if you don't believe that, um, and you're thinking that through, that's great. But we want you to stay in your seats uh, because we want you to be honest. And we, because we value honesty here. And if, if you need help believing, we'd love to talk to you so that you can take this in the future. This, is, this table is open in, to all Christians. We just want to make sure uh, we're all being honest in the midst of this. How does this work? Make two aisles. There's wine and grape juice. Uh, the bread is found in cups underneath uh, the beverage you, the, you, you can choose. Uh, you can throw the cups in these garbage cans. We'll have elders on stage to pray. Um, and then uh, after the singing, we'll, we'll have question and answer. So elders and musicians, uh, you are welcome to come forward and uh, take this. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love, love, love to pray for you. Let me pray. Lord, we rejoice that your son Jesus, the Messiah, has come. We rejoice that your Holy Spirit has helped us believe. Lord, we come forward focusing on, focusing, focusing on him and not on ourselves. We rejoice that sin has been paid for. Life has been given. Not through what we've done, but through him. In his name we pray, amen. Come forward whenever you're ready. To see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten, then nailed to a cross
I never used the mute button. I thought I'll be smart. I'll use the mute button. Um, so we have Q&A once a month. The purpose of this is, is just to help people have questions answered about the Bible, about Christianity, about our culture. Don't, I may not be able to answer everything. Um, and, but we believe God's Word has answers. Some of them, some emails have been sent in. We'll do this for 15 or 20 minutes, absolute max, but probably closer to 15. Um, one question that came in,